Hello, everyone, and welcome into Just Jazz, a podcast dedicated to jazz, the history of jazz, looking at some uh, albums, new and classic albums. I'm your host, Dwayne Gunnels, joined by my co-host, Max Levy. How's it going, Max? Hey, I'm doing well. So good to be here. It's good to start this thing with you. Yeah, man, I'm excited. So I wanted to talk briefly about ourselves a little bit and kind of our experience, how we got into jazz, our what you know what we like about jazz and so yeah so max and i met in the sixth grade um we met in band class in sixth grade i wasn't going to take band but i had a friend con- convince me to to drop my other elective and join band and from there on max we went our separate ways in high school we went to different high schools but we're still friends and max hit me back up and said hey like uh do you play the piano still and i was like well not i mean i like messed around but i wasn't you know doing much with it and so max got me and my other friend will together and taught us the basic 12 bar blues and then we you know we played a little bit but never played any gigs just kind of jammed out and had fun with it but then it was uh going into our senior year of high school the the Cape Fear Presbyterian Shrimp Fest. Do you want to tell us about how that came about, Max? Yeah, that was uh, interesting. So every summer for a period of four or five years, my home church uh, would host a festival and it was, you know, like a shrimp festival. So great food and they would have vendors and live music. And so they asked me if I wanted to play and without having a group or having a set list together or even knowing if it could be done, I said yes. And so <laughs> uh, from then on, I stopped saying the word no quite a bit uh, and just, just went all in, all, you know, all blazes going. And uh, we said, we're going to do this thing. So, I, yeah, I set up a group with, with you on keys. We had a good friend at the time, Eli Helms, I think, on drums. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another friend from high school, Alex, on trombone. And uh, we were just really having some fun. We had, you know, some songs like uh, Killer Joe from Benny Golson, some blues tunes, some Duke Ellington. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing, which I, of course, still play to this day. We did Jump, Jive, and Whale, that tune. That's right. Louis Prima. (laughs) Yeah, that was a... That was a, a a fun one to do. We had our drummer actually singing because he had kind of a raspy voice, Eli. We had him singing on that one, so that was really cool. That's right. It was a lot of fun. So it was, yeah, you know, some blues and some kind of more upbeat, um, audience-friendly jazz, I would say. Yeah. And uh, we did our best, and from then on, we just started playing some other gigs. We started doing some outdoor markets playing for four or five hours for just tips and uh lots of hot markets with not a lot of money and lots of sweaty jazz that's right and then one thing led to another we actually started booking some some gigs around town at some restaurants and we by the time we were in the middle of college um after our sophomore year we went to different colleges but we started playing that summer regularly every weekend we would have a regular friday night gig and then we would book up saturday and sunday as much as we could and i think we really both grew as musicians in general and grew closer together during that time yeah for sure that i look back on those summers and that was that was just all we were doing like we were just full-time 
playing. And I think that's probably what gave you the taste of being able to play full time and see what it's like to get in ideas like this is what it's like to be a, a jazz musician. And it was awesome. We got so much better. I, I remembered the beginning of that summer versus the end of the summer. We, our sound was so much better. We, we learned how to handle ourselves business wise as musicians a little bit better too. And yeah, it was awesome. And it definitely crafted us as friends and as musicians for sure. That's right. It was like a school away from school in a number of ways. And we were just having fun and, and trying to get better. And just we wanted to make money <laughs> outside of a real job. Yeah. For one, you know. So so that helped me a lot personally in my musical journey. And then I went on and did uh, grad school out here. I'm now in Kansas City, Missouri. I did a two-year master's at University of Missouri, Kansas City. And I got the extreme pleasure of studying with saxophonist Bobby Watson, who at one time was the artistic director of Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers um, from the late 70s into the early 80s. And he has so much experience and I learned so much um, conceptually, a lot of big concepts, but also great mentor on the technique of the horn and, and just understanding music in general i i learned a lot a lot from him and so now yeah i do play and teach in the kansas city metro area yeah and one thing we're talking about when you you know those summers when you were at ecu and then you went to kansas city i remember specifically thinking like when you went out to kansas city to do your master's program you were always already getting so good like when you're at ecu and i was just like man, like, I don't know if Max can get better. Like, I don't know what's going, what, like he can learn to go out like and learn from Bobby Watson and get better. But then I remember the first summer when you came back, I was like dumbfounded. I was like, Oh my God. Like, this is like, it was just crazy to hear the influence that Kansas city and Bobby had had on you. Not that it was anything drastic in your sound. It was just a new levels, new ideas, the solos were just, I don't, it just was, it was crazy. I didn't think you could get any better after ECU. Not, I mean, I'm going to give you your flowers because you're a great saxophone player, but it was just, it was awesome to see you go out there and really, really learn a lot. And I could tell when you came back that next summer, I was like, damn, like this Max is, Max has elevated his, his playing while he's been gone. I appreciate that. And yeah, there's, there's definitely some truth in that. And I think, you know, I've always had a ref, um, a reverence or an appreciation for early jazz, you know, swing era, um, early big band era. And Kansas City has a lot of history in that music. And I love the blues and a lot of, you know, if you look at the history of jazz, the swing feel and the emphasis of the blues in jazz music really solidified in Kansas City in the mid to late uh, 20s into the early 30s. And then guys like Cal Basie and Lester Young, you know, moved to New York and, and did bigger and better things. But a lot of that history is here. And I think I just got the permission I always wanted to really get into that um, type of playing and really solidify that foundation. And so I just went all in. And, and then with people's help, you know, other cats around here that are really good that I, I've had the chance to play with, I've, I've learned other things from them, too. So. Yeah, that was, I think one thing I noticed as well is you always had that very swing oriented, like 
style, but maybe with a mix of some other things and some other elements when you're going to ECU. But I could tell that the Kansas City jazz had gotten into you after when you came back. I was like, he's swinging hard, like Lester Young, Ben Webster kind of like swing, which was cool because it was, I felt like that was probably, I mean, I think you, you got into jazz listening to Ben Webster. So I think that's kind that's of right. what the sound you wanted, but maybe you didn't feel like you could fully explore when you were in college and then going to your grad program, you felt like you could really get into your own sound and you were in a place where that sound was accepted and welcomed and wanted. So that it was cool to cool to see that. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to put it. You know, it's uh, I've always been into those guys. Like you said, in seventh grade, I was listening to the soul of Ben Webster, which mm. was a a mm. two CD, you know, a two <laughs> CD disc with Oscar Peterson, Sweets Edison, Johnny Hodges, um, Ray Brown, you know, all the heavy swing cats. And, it, you know, and another guy on there, Harold Ashby, also a tenor player, I believe from Kansas City. Mm. Um, and both Ben Webster and I think Harold Ashby were born in Kansas City, Missouri. So, yeah, I just I just felt like, you know, I'm going to go all in and, and really dig in and express myself the way I want to and explore and, and pull from it and know that I will always have to do other stuff or you know, more modern stuff, of course, and I'm not knocking anything else, but um, my forte is my forte. And so I just dug in. Yeah. And that's and it's, it's an expression of yourself. And that's what molded you. That's when you were going through. I mean, growing up, I mean, you started listening and playing jazz when we were in middle school. So, I mean, you're so young. So that has molded you and you've gone through so many things listening to that style of music. So for it to be your forte makes sense, you know, because that's that's what you've liked. That's what you've listened to. And that's what's kind of crafted your sound. So yeah, nowadays Max is in Kansas city. Max is playing and teaching full time. Um, I'm living in Wilmington still Wilmington, North Carolina. We get together and we play twice a year, uh, a couple weeks out of the year with our good friend, Zach Graybill, who is a drummer who just moved to Memphis. So now it's going to be even harder to get together, but we'll find a, a way to still do it. But yeah, so we still get together and we play. Max is playing all the time. I don't get to play as much. Um, I always play when Max is in. So yeah, let's I, let's go over the the show, the format, and kind of get people excited for what what we're going to be doing. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's let's get started. Cool. So basically, I'm going to go over the the format of the show. Um, the format is going to be, we're going to take, it's, we're going to take two albums on every episode. And so every episode we're going to pick a classic album, something from, it could be super early. It could be Louis Armstrong. It could be whoever up until probably the classic era, we're going to stop with fusion and, you know, maybe the eighties and nineties. And we're going to start calling that something more modern. So we'll take a classic album and we'll take a modern album and we're just going to deep dive into them, give you all of our thoughts, use this as a time to kind of nerd out about jazz and uh, learn the history of stuff because I think that stuff's really interesting. And us as jazz musicians and jazz enthusiasts, we like it's awesome to learn the history about the albums and the players on the albums. And 
So yeah, that's what we're gonna get into. We're just gonna dive super deep into to the albums, give you our thoughts, and give a at the end we'll kind of give you our overall thoughts and a rating for the album, and so you can kind of get an idea of whether you want to listen to the album or not. Hopefully, you just listen to everything we do, so you can see what we're at least talking about. But yeah, so Max, what are our two albums that we're gonna do on on this episode? What do we got to look forward to? Well, today we're going over. I mean, one of the it, you know, if you're a tenor saxophone player, you really should transcribe some of the solos on this album. This is Soul Station by Hank Mobley. We're talking 1960, um, Hard Bop, one of the top Hank Mobley albums he recorded. And a lot of times, unfortunately, a lot of players or teachers or critics in general will overlook the influence and the playing of Hank Mobley, but I think that is a grave mistake. He is one of the masters of jazz tenor saxophone playing. He's got the soul. He's got the bop. He's got the lines. He's got the composition, which is also a great feature of this particular album, Soul Station, because a majority of the tunes are his original songs. So I think this is a great classic album to go over, Soul Station by Hank Mobley. And then the newer album we're going over is by a South African piano player. Um, we may likely mispronounce some names of the songs and of the players, but um, as I understand it, his name is Duduzo Makatini. Yep. Right? Yep, yep. And uh, the album is in the spirit of new or into spelled N-T-U. And this is a really recent album. I think it just came out in the past couple of months. Yeah, spring um, of this year. It came out, I think May it came out. So really super recent. And the other thing to mention is that both of these albums are on the Blue Note label. Mm, the, yep. You know, the iconic Blue Note label. So it's it'll be interesting to see, you know, comparing the two, seeing how the music has progressed on the same record label um, over time. Yeah, I think one interesting note about the Nduzo Magatini album before we get super into it is it's um, Blue Note and UMG Africa are actually combining to make Blue Note Africa, which is going to be African artists putting a series of African artists putting music out under this Blue Note Africa label and this is the first album to come out from that series that's right and i yeah that means there's a lot more south african jazz coming out on blue note and i think just in jazz in general you know the, um deduzo Makatini actually recently did a u.s tour and was in kansas city on one of those dates i unfortunately couldn't make the gig but um because i was because i had my own i had to play but I couldn't make uh, his performance, unfortunately. But, you know, there's just been, I feel like over the past two years, just an influx of um, appreciation and acknowledgement of the scene in, in South Africa. And there's been a lot more play on the radio and a lot more uh, records being made of particularly South African jazz. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's, it's why that the Blue Note Africa is, is becoming a thing. I mean, they, in a way that it's jazz is becoming underappreciated and it feels like 
mostly just people who are jazz into jazz or jazz musicians appreciate jazz in America. Now you get a really strong following in South Africa and it's becoming really popular there. It's been popular, but it's becoming popular once again there. So I think we've got a lot of good things coming from South African jazz musicians and all the musicians are mostly all the musicians on this album are South African. So we'll get to hear some of that stuff and kind of get to look forward to, to all that. Cool. Well, let's dive right into to Soul Station by Hank Mobley. I think the way we're going to do it is we'll kind of break down the album, kind of go track for track, maybe not get into some tracks more than others, and then we'll give you our overall thoughts and then get into our ratings. So the first track on this Soul Station album is a tune entitled Remember. And so, Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about this tune? Because this is a standard. It starts out, it bookends standard. starts with a standard, sandwiched by four Hank Mobley original tunes, and then ends with a standard. So what what do we have going on here with this, with the tune Remember? Yeah, yeah I do think the album is curated so well, starting and ending with a standard. It's like, um, you know, if you have a really good burger, you don't really have a burger without the bun. Cause then mm. it's just a slab of meat, right? <laughs> so you need a, you know, if you ask for a burger, you're going to get that those two slices of bread on top and on bottom. And that's just what this album is. I think, I think the bread, the depth is in standards. If we're talking about classic jazz, especially, you know, pre fusion. And so uh, the beginning and the ending are both jazz standards. It starts with the tune. Remember, which is a pop song from 19, I believe 1925 from composer Irving Berlin. And so Irving Berlin was one of the many composers, Jewish immigrant composers in particular, who wrote for Tin Pan Alley, Broadway, a lot of, you know, New York shows. And so a lot of their tunes were adopted by jazz musicians as, um, Saw great American songs that they could cover and, and play and people would recognize it. And, you know, they, they could bend the music um, from that great selection. A lot of times we call it the great American songbook. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's just the culmination of all these great tunes that were written roughly from mid 1920s up until 1940, roughly. So this particular song is not covered that much, but uh, it, it has been sung by Billie Holiday and I believe Ella Fitzgerald. And this is kind of the version, at least the jazz version of this song, Remember. And um, it was originally in Alexander's Ragtime Band um, in 1938. It may have, like I said, it wasn't originally in that, but comes from the 20s 30s it was also in there's no business like show business which um featured the great ethel merman in uh, 1954 in that show so it's been used quite a few times throughout um you know the the broadway stage and and through in in movies as well so yeah for sure i think um irving berlin also is- yeah go ahead yeah, I was just going to say, also, Irving Berlin is also the composer of the great song, God Bless America, which at one time people wanted, there was a push to make it the new national anthem. Yeah, and he so also wrote White Christmas as well. That's right. A yeah. lot of a lot of classic 
classic Christmas tunes written by Irving Berlin. So he's one of the more, I mean, as far as like American, we speak about the great American songbook. He's one of the, the guys who just has, I mean, he wrote so many tunes and so many great show tunes and things like that. So yeah, just picking a song from his songbook makes sense for, for Hank, you know, it's something familiar. Um, so yeah, I think this is a, a great place to, to start the album. It's not one that gets covered a lot, so it's, it's good to start with a familiar composer, but not necessarily a song that's going to get played on every other album. I think it really sticks out and I, this is m- definitely my favorite version of, of this tune. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. And if you're a tenor saxophone player, you have to transcribe this Hank Mobley solo. I mean, you don't have to, but you really should. Yeah, even a lot of the Wynton Kelly stuff on the album is just, I mean, Wynton Kelly rarely fails to deliver. I mean, he's just one of the one of the greatest and definitely his ability to the blues and the hard bop, like his blues playing was just so good and it's so evident in this album because this album gets gets it starts out with a standard but gets super super deep into some blues feels like later on into it. But yeah, in the so with remember, um, one thing I want to talk about is Hank's style, which is just evident from the very beginning of this album. And one thing that draws me into to Hank's style so much is his articulation, his vibrato, and it's just the it feels. This is what I love about Hank is it he makes it sound like it it feels easy like it sounds like it's so easy for him but it's not it's it's so on point the articulation is great the his use of vibrato is so nice but it's just so easy to listen to because it makes he makes it sound so easy. That's right. His sound is very um, unique in that it's not as big or hefty as like an Illinois Jacquette or Gene Ammons, but it's also not light like Paul Desmond. It's somewhere in the middle and there's always purpose. There's always an approach um, that is, you know, accessible for usually the average listener to grasp what he's doing. There's a constant awareness of time, his outlines, you know, the outlines of his, his improvisational lines are just so perfect. I, he is almost as perfect as perfect can get. I mean, there's a couple other cats who his sound, you know, is reminiscent of like another cat that has played with or been recorded with horse silver is named junior cook Mm -hmm. and, and junior cook has a similar sound, but his lines and are, you know, and his, his approach sometimes is not nearly as perfect as Hank Mobley. And there's some wrong notes sometimes from junior cook. So, you know, that's just one comparison, but you know, his sound is, it's just when he's playing, you know, it's him. Yep. For sure. The, the movement of his lines is it's the placement of everything, the phrasing. It's just almost as perfect as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think if I were like, when I try to introduce new people to jazz music, I think Hank is one of this album and a lot of Hank's stuff is stuff that's super approachable because it's not yeah it doesn't feel like he's trying to do too much he and he can do he's so he can be so technical his lines can be are they're so perfect but he's just such a master of the saxophone his sound is so so sultry and so warm that it's just he's so easy to listen to and that's why 
I just I love listening to him because it's so so easy. It's so refreshing. And when he wants, and the thing about it is, he can start. He can a lot of times he'll start his solo, and it's got the space and the the sultry sound. But when he wants to turn it on, he'll turn it on, and he'll start bringing. He'll start swinging, and he'll you know hit it a little harder, and he's got more to give. And that's what kind of gives a lot of his songs that drive is his ability to to do that. You know to to hold back and to you know and to gradually give more and more and into solos. So. That's right. There's a great overall shape to his solos. And um, normally, you know, he doesn't really s- stretch too much. But on a couple tracks on this album, he does. And we'll talk a little bit about that later with uh, particularly, particularly the, uh, the, the song Soul Station, um, the title track. He does that. Yeah. So I think... With remember, I I don't have much else that I. Wynton Kelly's solo, fantastic. It's Wynton Kelly. It's what you'd expect. Swinging, bluesy, awesome. And then we get the classic, the Blakey press roll back into the head, and that just you know who's it's like you already probably knew who was on drums, but you hear that you know okay like this is and that's that's one thing that makes this album so great is the rhythm section. I mean, this is just an all time rhythm section with Blakey Paul. We didn't say who was on the album. We've got Hank Mobley, Wynton Kelly on the piano, Paul Chambers on bass. So those are two guys from the rhythm section for the Miles Davis quintet. Um, Wynton Kelly and Paul Chambers. And then you get Art Blakey, who's just arguably the best hard bop drummer of all time. I mean, it's might not even be arguable if you're going hard bop. So just this rhythm section is, and that's one thing throughout the album is it's they're so good. They're so tight. Everything is exactly what you expect. And when you said perfect, that's kind of like what I'm getting back to is like, it's so perfect. Like this album is just, everything feels so perfect. And when Kelly's solo on this, it's just, it's perfect back into the head. The head's nice. It's catchy the nice warm Hank Mobley sound. So yeah, remembers a a great track and it's a great way to start this album out for sure. Absolutely. And I do want to say a couple things just musically about the track, you know, there's a couple points in the album and especially on that song, remember where they go back and forth between the two feel in the bass and doing all four in the bass, you know, Yep. where you do quarter note, um, outline, on the bass versus just hitting one beats one and three. And so particularly on this track, um, the way they arrange that dichotomy with the melody is, is fantastic. And, and they do it into the solo as well. Um, and they, you know, they keep that halftime feel. Cause sometimes when you go into solos, it's just four on the floor straight ahead. You know, not, yeah. Straight ahead. You know, not necessarily the bass drum, but with the bass in particular. Yeah, yep, yep. But they kept that during the solos, and I like that. I like that, too. It feels like it can kind of feel like uh, wash, rinse, repeat sometimes when you get, like, the melody usually is not going to be four on the floor. It's going to have some kind of rhythmic, like, thing, pattern going on. But a lot of times in jazz, you'll just get, as soon as it's solo, it's just, like, break, two-bar break into four on the floor, like, solo over the the progression you know and i think that's one thing that they do well is they switch it up they have blakey on drums so there's a lot of stuff that we'll get into some different stuff that goes on later with blakey and solos and whatnot but 
they do a great job of bringing in different elements of solos and what you s- said with the two feel keeping that two feel that's present in the a section keeping that going into the solos to give it a little bit more shape that we were talking about because hank's so good at shaping and they can do that two feel but then when they're he's really digging in they're getting into that four feel and just driving through and you know right and then i just want to mention a couple other things there's some nice diminished licks that hank mobley does um right around the 250 mark i believe um and then just the way he gets through that opening four bars of the form through the half step coming down those chord progression. Um, it's just fantastic. And later on, he also just has great phrasing. It really is one of these solos when we're dealing with Hank Mobley that are worth your time in transcribing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So definitely a great way to start the, the album out. Remember, so let's get on to, the first original on the track, This I Dig of You. What do you got for me there, Max? Well, I, you know, again, it's it's a masterpiece. Um, the melody is, is a little faster. It's an upbeat head. Um, it is an original by Hank. There's a hint of modalism, you know, with that opening, I believe, eight bars. It's really just kind of an extended one chord on the root with some movement quarterly emphasizing um the root harmony and it's a 16 bar form um and this is one that a lot of people when they're on the bandstand they will call this tune sometimes um so it is one that that some players should know and you should get familiar with it's very fun um it's not that hard of a melody easy to grasp but it just swings so hard and the the way they go about that first eight bars of the form i just i just really like it and um the again the tempo is burning killer solos and i really appreciate that they open this one up to give our blakey a full drum solo they don't do trading you know no trade fours or anything they open it up and partly is because it's Art Blakey. I mean, you got to have a Blakey solo. It, yeah, just, I don't think he'd agree to do the the record if there wasn't an Art Blakey. <laughs> he'd be like, he'd be like, how many solos I got? None. No, I'm good. I'm good. We're we're good. <laughs> right. And it's cool because a lot of times on straight ahead albums, you would have trading, but you would not have a full solo. And here they do a full solo, and it's important to note that Art Blakey's drum solo is exactly a full two choruses so he keeps the form when he's soloing and this is oftentimes what straight ahead drummers will do but a lot of times we think when we get to the drum solo we just have it open and then he'll count us back in whenever and we can kind of go grab a a water or a iced tea and and come back and then we'll get back into the form once he counts us in but really, you know, the case is a lot of times the drummer is keeping time of the uh, keeping track of the form in his head, and a lot of times what he's playing is emulating the melody or different parts of the form uh, in a in a way that a sax player or horn player would as well. So just because it's drums doesn't mean it just it's just open and we're off the chart. You're still on the chart. And he's still in there every chance he can get. 
showcasing that that form. Yeah, I think that speaks to when you hear a drummer that, especially over a tune like this, that does have the form, the ABA form, when you hear drummers doing that, it just speaks to the musicality of a drummer, that they're able to do that over the, the form and keep the form and speak to the ideas that the track has already put forward. They're not just like the track saying one thing and they're just coming in and they're just doing whatever. They're kind of like speaking back to the melody, referring back to the melody, keeping the form, keeping the feel of the different sections, you know? So I think that's one thing. And Blakey obviously is a master of the drum. So he, he does it so well. There's a lot to learn. One thing I wanted to talk about is I know Max said that the first song on the album, remember a tra- a solo to tr- transcribe for Hank Mobley. I think this one for Wynton Kelly is a master class solo. And if you're looking for one to transcribe on this album, Wynton just absolutely takes it to school. And it's one, it's one to, to check out, to listen to, to hear what he's doing and to, and to learn because it's, it's just all time when Kelly, it's one of my favorite of his solos and one of my favorite piano solos on a, a Hank Mobley album. Yeah, that's a good point. When Kelly kills it as usual. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's just so good. His, he's so bluesy, but got all the, the licks and the bop and the blues and that's what makes hard bop, right? Like that's what, what we get was that post bop era of guys wanting to integrate more blues into, into bop and, Man, it's it's so good. This song is is so good. Blakey, everything on this. Well, we we we're just gonna keep coming back to this point of like this album is just so perfect. Like everything about it, everyone's playing is just so good. Winton kills it. This is it's a great tune. It's well written. I love the the modalism and the you get a little bit more of that the feel that changes from the the two feel to a four feel even on this a little bit more. Um. So yeah, it's a it's a great tune and it's just the album's just ramping up like you get remember you're fully set in and then this comes and you're like oh man like there this is we're getting into something here like we got we got something to listen to so yeah that's right and i always pick up on something i didn't notice before each time i listen to it yeah that's yeah that's true because there's just so much and they're so they're all so good between comping and soloing and everything that there's so much to learn from it that it's hard to listen to it twice and not hear something that you didn't hear before whether it be Wenton solo or his comping or Blakey's solo or the melody and the way that Hank's playing the melody it's it's beautiful it's it's this is a this is a, a great tune and maybe one of Hank's best tunes and best originals yeah I, I think so I think that's why people call it also, they call um, his song Funk and Deep Freeze, which is a cool original. It's not this album. It's a different album. Yeah. But that song they do, and that song actually has the same bridge to the tune Confirmation, Ooh, the okay. bebop. Yeah, the bebop standard from from Bird, Charlie Parker. So. I just listened to Jimmy Smith playing that last night on hey, House, there House you Party. Go. That's that's a great album, that one. We'll have to do that one at some point. Um, cool. All right, what's next? Dig Dis the Ooh. the second original third track on the album and this is just we're at this point you're you're in like you're you're fully in this is they're just getting they've remember it's like cool like this is this is some jazz standard like this is something and then dig this i dig of you 
great original, but dig this is like we're gonna get down and bluesy, and this is this is hard bop. Like, welcome to 1960. My name is Hank Mobley. Sit down, take a seat. Let me teach you a thing about playing hard bop jazz music. Absolutely, it is a lesson. It is a masterpiece, as you put it. Um, it, but it's just it just outlines what hard bop is so well, and you know if if we're talking about musically interesting stuff going on, the melody to me is is it in itself um, a masterpiece in the way that it mixes both elements of minor and major blues chords, and the those kind of there's an intro and then and then they get into to the melody after a Wynn Kelly intro. Do you have anything to say about Wynn Kelly's intro or anything? It's it just kind of it sets the scene for what's gonna happen. It's super bluesy. It kind of gets you in the feeling the you know like you're just you're you're into like you know you're like oh man okay so that and it just leads into the song. I think it's perfect. The intro is perfect for the song because it just sets the scene of what's about to happen. Yeah, that's right. And then when the melody hits it, you know, it's not a, it's not a dominant seventh chord. It's a minor seventh chord. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, we're getting at a minor blues, um, for two choruses where, you know, the melody is, is basically using those minor thirds. And then there's a turnaround and, and the bass kind of sticks to going B flat, a flat G F like a minor blues walk down. Mm Mm-hmm you know a two feel walk down through a lot of that head and then something um happens completely kind of out of nowhere where they do stop time feel and there they're switching completely to a normal 12 bar major blues and the time uh the stop times as we used to call them the bops yeah right? <laughs> the the rhythmic hits from the rhythm section on B1. Here they're going B4 into B1 most of the time. Yeah, yep. And then on the turnaround it's on the beat. But they're going 4-1 um, approaching the the chord on 1 by a half step in the previous beat. And in that, it sounds like Hank is just blowing and he's kind of starting his solo. But to me, that third and fourth chorus of stop time feel is part of the melody. And, you know, it's interesting to think about how and where do you define where the melody is with this song? Would you just say that the minor choruses are basically the melody and then you could go into solo? Or are those third and fourth choruses where they do the stop time and Hank is kind of soloing over that? Is that part of the melody? I have a, a few a few thoughts on this. One thing I want to say briefly is in the A section that this melody is kind of, you can learn when you're writing melodies that you don't have to write something super complex. This melody is super simple, but it's just so well-crafted. And Max was speaking about the the minor sevenths, not the dominant sevenths, and just working the melody into what you've got there. It doesn't have to be anything super complex, the way that Hank crafts this melody. But as to the, the question of if this is part of the solo or part of the melody... I feel like you could interpret it either way. Like I wouldn't tell someone they're dead wrong for looking at it either way because it has elements of being a solo, but it also has elements of a melody or a head. 
the way that I see it, I view it as part of the head for a few reasons. And I think firstly, I I don't know if Hank is just blowing over it. I think it might be something that's written out. It seems like something that's not fully improvised, whether to what degree it's not improvised. I think I feel like it's a section that's been thought out before that whole the, the stop time every what Hank is playing is has been thought out before and I think I, I don't think it's the beginning of his improvisation on the solo completely and I think secondly the big giveaway that gives it to me and to what I feel like is the actual beginning of the solo is the Blakey press roll that we get at the end of the stop time that's like that you know that someone's getting into a solo when Blakey hits, he does a press roll. So I think that's what gives it away for me. In the end, is like okay, like press roll. In now we're now we're swinging. Now we're in the solo. That was you know that was section A, section B of the head, and now we're we're swinging. What do you what do you think about that? I I completely agree. I you know it's hard to say because because his lines during that third and fourth stop time choruses they're a little complex to say it's melodic but it is melodic um you know i i do think it's thought out if if i was gonna cover it i would do that i would do the stop time and i would quote what he's playing um it would be disrespectful not to almost because of the way it's so well it feels so well put together you know it feels like that's that's what you need to do there that's right so to me it is a melody and maybe there's a there's a resource, you know, confirming or not confirming what what, what we think about it out there. Um, but to me, it is a melody. And then the press roll is a clear indication that we're changing sections and we're going to the solo. So I agree. And that press roll is used throughout this album so well. And you, I mean, it, it's Art Blakey's style. You can't define hard bop or you know without our blakey and so that is just a part of each song used in a way that no one else can really do that it's just like, as well yeah it's like when a uh like an artist like paints a, a fantastic picture it's and they put their signature at the bottom you know that's art blakey's signature on the bottom of his masterpieces is that press roll you hear it and you're like you're like oh he just signed that work like that's that's art blakey we you know we know what's going on with that the press roll Yep, and other cats 100%. do it, but it's they they're doing it because Blakey did it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So yeah, this is this is when the solo. I feel like it's it's just gradually building into this point, and then we get this, and it's just we're fully here. We're like we're we've arrived. Like this is just super bluesy, super swinging. Every all the elements you want. Everyone gets a turn. It's it's so it's awesome. The Hank kills it. It's, it's I would also yeah, I would also say this is probably my favorite Hank Mobley solo on the album. Um I the, yeah, I agree. You know, the phrasing is just spot on. It it flows well, it moves well, it's so swinging. Um to me, it's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into that's the the third track on the album, the fourth track on the album is Split Feelings. Uh, and this one kind of 
continues a similar um, theme on the album, which is where we get the A and the B section that have different feels. Um, you get like a, a two feel or a different kind of feel in the A section, and then into a swing or a four on the floor swing style B section. And this does the same thing. It has kind of like a samba A section. Um, and then you get into the swing B section. And then, yeah, this one thing that's unique about this album is you get the, the Hank solo first, but then you get the the classic, the vintage Hank and Blakey trade fours, which you know it's coming at some point in the album. You're just like, when is that going to come? So this is when we get the the, the Blakey Mobley trade four section. That's right. There has to be trade fours somewhere. Um, and I'm glad it's here. I also like how this one, it, you know, it doesn't really have a melody on the bridge which a lot of jazz tunes, especially if they're AABA rhythm changes, they don't oftentimes, and you can just blow. And I think Hank Mobley on, on that track really does, does the bridge really well each time he blows over it. Um, and, and the change in feel is also something to keep track of, a little similar to this I Dig a View. And um, it, 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 it is a good track. Good, it's a good composition. And it and it's a little, a little different because it does have kind of a samba feel to it yeah. on those A sections. Yeah. So I, I do I appreciate that too. Yeah, I think it's definitely. I feel like it sandwiches. It like kind of encompasses the album well. Um, I I feel like you're kind of starting to climax with Dig This, and then you get into this, and it kind of brings you back to a feeling that was somewhat familiar with this I Dig of You, although it's not like the tunes are the same, but they, they do have a similar feeling to them in the way that they're written and the structure of the songs and kind of the the melody. Not so, maybe so much the melody. I mean, it's a Hank, it's a typical Hank melody, but I think that's what it does well, is it's, it's somewhat similar to this I Dig of You, but it's its own work, and it kind of is familiar within the album and brings you back from Dig This pretty well. That's right. And and the form is different. You know, Split Feelings is AABA with a bridge. And um, I Dig a View is really a 16-bar form repeated. So the, the, the form is different, but there's a lot of similar elements in, in both those tunes. Yeah, for sure. So next, the next track on the album is the title track, Soul Station. And this is another track that's super bluesy and the melody on this one is just so simple yet so powerful on this track it's it's a great tune this is this is this is an awesome one i mean this this his ability to craft melodies that are so i want to say catchy i don't like the word catchy necessarily but they're they get stuck in my head all the time because they're simple and they're so powerful they have a lot of meaning a lot of feeling to them so it, he just does that again. It's becoming his M.O. at this point in this album. It's just these melodies that are just so well-crafted. Yeah, his melodies are really good. And I on this track, Soul Station, I just love the tempo. I love a blues at this tempo. It's dirty. It's gritty. It's in there. You know, it, it, it's kind of emotional, but well thought out at the same time. Um, and it is, in this case, a 16-bar blues, so it's not the normal 12-bar, you know, the same old usual form that we're used to. It It's elongated, and it throws in that diminished chord, uh, what bar? Bar 12, I believe, you know, kind of similar to 
the song Groove Merchant from mm-hmm. Thad Jones, Mel yep. Lewis, you know, a little bit, same approach. Um, and I here, I just feel like Hank Mobley is, is this is the first time in the album where he's actually stretching a little bit. It's a longer solo than you would think. He takes a couple extra courses than one would expect. And I think some of the bandmates didn't expect him to go as long either because every time there's a there's a new chorus when we get to the third or fourth chorus of his solo, Art Blakey does a big kind of splash on the cymbal where you you know you would normally do when you would indicate a new soloist. And so he does that a couple of times and, and Hank Hank's Mobley's like, I'm t- still going, dog. I we're going. That's right. Hank just keeps going. And I really like that. I love the length of the solo. I love he gets into it. I love the tempo. The head is also catchy, like you said. And there's also some really nice dynamics, especially on the head out when they're when they're mm-hmm. um yep. you know, they, they kind of bring it down and then Blakey presses and then yeah, they bring back it back up it. again. We like and some, we like that move. That's a move we're privy to. <laughs> yeah, we've copied that a couple of times. Yeah, we've done that once or twice in our in our careers. <laughs> but I I just think it's so dynamic of a track because of those things. It, it's personally is one of my favorite on the album. Yeah, I think this album definitely does. It's the first time we get some stretch out of Hank and out of. The band, I don't know if it was planned. Maybe he planned it to be more so just like, you know, just the normal length of the six minutes. But it, this makes me feel here like I'm sitting in a jazz club listening to these guys and they're just, they're stretching and they're, and it's just killing. It makes, it just puts me in that, that feeling like, oh man, like I'm sitting down a smoky jazz club in the 60s and these guys are just, you know, doing what they do best and that's good i think that this album it needed that at some point to kind of get a feel of the and the rhythm section is just really grooving really well and you can feel how they they work through the solos and back into the head and the dynamics like max said it it's awesome it, it was it's a cool track to get them to open up and it grooves really hard and then surprisingly it's not the it's surprisingly it's the longest track on the album at nine minutes i mean it's awesome. It is a not, great Hank solo. It's all it's it's incredible. It's a great Hank solo, and I think there's there is a bass solo which yep. I appreciate. We, I think there's only one other bass solo on the album. And it's from pretty Paul short. Chambers. The other one, yeah, the other one is short. I don't, it's like half a chorus. Yeah, and so here we get to stretch out. It's nine minutes. I like how you put it. It's like we're actually at the club and we're we're in there. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the yeah. We we appreciate the stretch for sure. We've uh we've hit a, a nine minute song or two in our time, so cool. Well, and, and then we get rounded out with the final tune on the track, which is entitled "If I Should Lose You." Another standard, Max. Give us some. Let us know what's going on with with this standard here. Yeah, this tune is uh, you know, it's an oldie but a goodie, but it's it's written by a guy named Ralph Ranger, whose last name was originally Reichenthal. Uh, He was a Broadway and, I believe, film composer. He was well-versed. He studied with um, Schoenberg, the classical 12-row Matrix composer, you know, kind of newer classical music. Um, 
but Ranger was known as, as writing pop tunes and, um, he used the name Ranger as a sort of, uh, just a stage name. I, I guess he just felt like it would be more pronounceable than Reichenthal and it would just, it would just, it just flows better. Ralph Ranger. And the thing about this guy is that's very interesting is he died really young. He died at age 41 and it was, he was on a plane and the plane had a mid air collision with, I believe a, a military plane. And so there was a plane crash. They collided and he unfortunately passed away during that, during that plane crash. And um, this particular song was also in uh, originally a movie called Rose of the Rancho in the 1930s. That would be absolutely, imagine, I guess planes were fairly new back then. I mean, there wasn't as much technology as we have these days. That's insane to think that two planes would actually crash into each other in the middle. Though when I saw that, I was like, man, I didn't even think of that as a possibility. But I guess back in the 40s, like air traffic control and GPS and all that stuff, you just might not have seen the other plane. And all of a sudden, that's that's a crazy way to go out. But yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of that stuff was kind of in development at the time. And, you know, we, we had airplanes, Unabombers, um, or by, well, they were biplanes that were in World War One. you know, 19... 19- 18 we're talking yep and then commercial air really hit in the 50s so 50s 60s 70s so we're, we're kind of right before that pretty early aviation here yeah so some notes that i had on this tune i feel like this is the most straight ahead tune on the album um it's good rhythmic accompaniment in the head uh Shane, hank showed more of uh his chops in the solo, I feel like he focuses more on bop elements than blues on this one. I feel like it's kind of just they're rapping, they're kind of taking you back and they've taken you to this real bluesy hard bop place, but they got to remind you of what jazz is, where it came from, you know, the bop elements. And so they bring it back around to that. Uh, one thing I noticed that um, Winton's solo is really abruptly ended by Hank going back into the head. I feel like Max is. Uh, Max has done that a time or two. He's like, all right, you're done. We're back into the head. There's That's something what, with, yeah, there's something with sax players doing that. I don't know. They just make, they make, they call the shots. It's Hank's album anyway. So he, he was like, Winton, you're one of the greatest. You're done now though. Thanks. That's you're good. done. We, That's, we, we got to wrap this up. Yeah, Let's we, we got to wrap this up. We just stretched. He was thinking we just stretched Soul Station to nine minutes. I know we've done that. A Mr. Magic that lasted 15 minutes. <laughs> it's like, well, damn, we really want to play Don't Get Around Much, but we got to make it only last three minutes because the gig's ending. So we've right. done that a time or two. Max cut off a, a solo real quick and be like, all right, we got to get back to the head. We're 10 minutes over time. <laughs> so. It has happened once or twice, if not... Uh, too many times to count so yeah good catch on that i didn't really really get that uh, i'll have to go back and listen for that yeah yeah if you, yeah if you're listening to the album listen to that i mean i it's hard to tell but it didn't feel like hank or winton's solo was done it felt like hank hank finished winton's solo form with the with the head so that's a that's an interesting tidbit of, about that one max what do you think about this final encapsulating tune on on the album well i i think it's of course, 
uh, a really great version of the tune. You know, this is one that that is covered quite a bit, but not as much as, you know, I think it should be. Um, and I do like the arrangement that they particularly did on the track. They did kind of a call and response with the beginning of the melody between Hank playing the head and the rhythm section responding with hits um, during those first four bars of the form. And I think that that is so clever. You know, it's like, what can we do with this melody to really either bring it out or do something rhythmic or, or something off the page with it? And I think that's a great thing to do and a great way to do it. Um, and then, of course, there's a classic two-bar break into the solo with another Art Blakey press roll into the top of the form. What else would so it? I mean, how else would it start? The, you know, <laughs> two-bar break, Blakey press roll, you know what's about to happen. That's right. And, uh, you know, as you were saying, this one is a little more bop heavy, a little more bebop. And to me, Hank's solo on this one and on Remember um, are both kind of solos that I would consider in a sort of bebop boot camp, which is a phrase I saw online one time, but I loved <laughs> how that was put. It is kind of a bebop boot camp in, in the way he's moving. He's got some quotes in here. He's got the bebop scales as, as we like to call them. I mean, they're, if you ask me, bebop scales don't really exist. All it is, is, you know, sometimes you're doing both major and minor sevenths. Sometimes you're doing both the six and the flat six, and sometimes you're doing both major and minor thirds. And so in your line, that's what you're playing or emphasizing. And so he uses those ideas just everywhere in the solo um, and his use of, of flat nines is great. His, his runs are all over the horn. The phrasing is impeccable. And also there is another juxtaposition of the use of the two feel versus the four feel in, in, in some of this track. And there's a great ending lick by Hank Mobley as well at the very end and how they end it, you know, very, very classic, very nice and easy arrangement, but it swings so hard and it is really, you know, those, those solos in there are just really a, a manual for how to get through um, chord changes in the dra in the jazz tradition. Yeah, I think it's almost Hanks. He's opened it up with with a standard. Then he gets into his originals, which is he's presenting this fairly new thing. I mean, hard bop's not been around for long, so it gets super bluesy, super hard bop. But Hanks so good, he can be so technical. He's so good at bebop. I mean, he. It's not like this is his first album. Hank knows what he's doing. So I think this one kind of just is an homage back to Bebop and to just show, like, I've got the chops. Here are the chops. Like, this is my sound. This is this is hard bop. And then I can throw some Bebop in there. And it's just the versatility. He shows his versatility with this track to finish it. Right. And I just like to say, you know, a lot of times when we're thinking about learning the jazz language, quote unquote, which is more or less the usual practices that players historically did to get through chord changes and different things they would emphasize with the harmony. Normally we look to somebody like Charlie Parker, um, who is a Kansas city, Kansas native, by the way, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, since he's kind of 
the founder along with Dizzy Gillespie of, of kind of bebop jazz. But to me, you know, if you're just starting out trying to learn this language and trying to really get a feel for what, you know, the language of jazz is, I think going to Hank Mobley first is a good go-to because the way he does it is a little more accessible. He lays it out there very verbatim. You know, there's no guessing what a certain note is sometimes, whereas Bird sometimes puts a lot in a little amount of space, which Hank can do too, but it's a little more accessible for, you know, a student or um, a player who's trying to learn some more solos or get some more ideas. I think Hank Mobley, in particular, his solos on this album are just good go-tos for learning some some bebop in your playing in your playing yeah i think that also speaks back to earlier when i just said his sound is so approachable is that's it it speaks to the same thing i was saying earlier is why i tend to show people hank mobley if they don't listen to jazz it'll be one of the first this album and some of other hank's work is the first stuff that i'll show them it just it is so accessible whether you're trying to learn to play the horn to play saxophone or to play jazz or to just the language itself. Or if you've never listened to jazz and this is your first listen into jazz, it's, it's more approachable. It's so technical and so well-crafted still. It's not like it's just basic by when we're saying that it's just, it's so approachable and his style, his style is so unique and so well-crafted, but just, it's great. I mean, it's, 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 it's Hank Mobley. That's right. Cool. All right. Well, let's. Uh, that's that's all the tracks on the album. Um, I feel like we really got into them there. Definitely go listen and hear what we're talking about. Um, you know, some of the things that we mentioned. What we're gonna do now is we're gonna list our top three tracks on the album and our not so hot track on the album. So, Max, kick it off. What do you have for your top three and your not so hot track on the album? All right, this is kind of hard for me to do because there's so many great songs on this and and the whole album is is really top notch. But I had to look at this two ways. The first way is if you took away the first track Remember and you just reviewed the rest of the album. Because to me Remember is a, is kind of in its own category. And so I did not include it in my top 3 only because I see it as something beyond everything else. Because just how, how much people check it out, you know, it is the most listened to track on Spotify by a long shot. Hmm. I you didn't know. know that, actually. Yeah, if you look at the numbers. Even uh, above, like, this I dig of you and dig this? Yeah, it's not wow. even close. Dang. I, it's not even close. Um so just because of that, I, I did not include it in my top three only because I just see it as as a duh. Of course, it would be likely number one. But for me, my number one was Dig This, number two, This I Dig of You, and number three, Soul Station. My not so hot, only because we have to have a not so hot, is the tune Split Feelings. I just didn't get as much of that. Uh, excuse me, I just didn't get as much from that as some of the other tracks on the album. Yeah, I think one thing that what you're saying is if I were to any three 
songs in any order, if I were to hear them in someone's top three, I would understand. That's how great this album is. Like you could say any tracks in any order and put them in your top three and have a justification for why they're in your top three. And I would accept that because this, this album, it's almost hard to be like one, two, three. It's almost one, a one B one C, you know, like they're, they're all so, so good. So I definitely, I see what you're saying with remember Uh, the way that I went, we have, we have the same one and two. I think that these just kind of they're Hank's, some of his best originals dig this and number one is just it's just a masterpiece of a tune and it's it stands out a little edge above the rest on the album and then this i dig of you another fantastic tune and one of his best originals it was hard not to pull soul station on the album because i like the aspect of the the stretch and everything and the feeling of that one but I don't remember just speaks to me in, in some kind of way. So I remember in third. So I've dig this one, this I dig of you and remember as my third. And one thing I think is interesting is this, the, this is the reverse order of the first three tracks on the tune. So it's, it goes, remember this, I dig of you and then dig this. So in my opinion, this is something that this album does so beautifully is it builds in so well into the, the middles in the climax of the album. So that's kind of how I view this and, my rankings and what I noticed and my not so hot as well, unfortunately is split feelings. It's literally one of my favorite tunes, but it's hard. You got to pick one that's got to go. And I think if you had to take one album out of, or one song out of this album, I couldn't see you taking any other ones out and split feelings is, although I love it could go. And I think the album, everything else needs to stay. You can't take anything out of, of this album other than that tune. And that's why, I picked it. It's not that it's not so hot. It's just that if one's got to go, sorry, you're the least that's a, great. Yeah, that's a good way to put it is if if there was one that could be thrown out and you still have the album that we're describing, you would throw out split, split feelings and nothing would be lost. Yeah. You know, yep. everything else would be in there and it would it would still be, you know, the great album that that we're talking about and you couldn't t- i don't feel like any of the other tunes you could take out and say the same thing about so absolutely that was my yeah. my thinking there yep cool well let's go let's just overall thoughts and our ratings on the album my overall thoughts these are some some notes i had written down we talked about it um probably covered all of this but just gonna go over it Hank's sound so easygoing yet so swinging. His style is approachable. We've we've said that. The rhythm section so perfect, so dialed, so tight. Everything on the album that they do feels perfect. It feels like a, a masterclass on rhythm section. Um, I think one thing that happens with Hank and Max is kind of touched on this is he gets criticized for the lack of quote unquote innovation at times in a in an era where things started to really guys were pushing the envelope you get um miles and coltrane and they're starting to push things in a a kind of different direction in the 60s and so he gets criticized sometimes for not innovating not trying to do something necessarily super envelope pushing necessarily but in my opinion we need hank mobley like we need this just someone this perfect example of hard bop like this is one of my favorite albums of all time he was so good at what he did and this is like his this run of blue note albums that he does the next three or four albums are just some of my favorite jazz albums of all time and definitely my favorite hank album so 
I feel like that criticism, it's it might be valid. Like he could have pushed the envelope more, but I think we need Hank Mobley in jazz history, and this album is so important for that, and that's why it's it's most likely my favorite album of his. And we definitely got to do some more Hank on the score. And so my score on the album is I'm gonna give it. We're gonna do out of ten. I'm giving it a nine point four out of ten for this album. Yeah, I you know you make some great points. I would say the album itself is definitely one of the best examples we have in what you know you would consider to be hard bop or something that's post bebop straight ahead. So many you know examples of how to stretch the blues in this, and I would argue you know. It is innovative. The way you're mixing minor and major blues together, mm-hmm. the way you're interacting, the way um, Art Blakey's sound is so commanding and so um, intentional with some of the, the nuances he plays, like the press roll, like the different stuff he does on the cymbals. Um, you know, I, I and, and his version of Remember is... I would say the version that is innovative, you know, and and they had a couple, they had, I believe a couple of chord substitutions than, you know, the original song had or the way other people did. And so, you know, they have the half step uh, dominant seventh chord falling down at the beginning of the form. And, and and the way they go back and forth between the two and the four feel the arrangements are there. The melodies are masterful. I, I think it's just a a great example of what you can do with this music and you don't have to go where Ornette Coleman did. You don't have to go where John Coltrane did. You don't have to go where Pharaoh Sanders did. You can do this and it can be amazing and done in such a fantastic way that you will reach people until the end of time with this music. That's what I personally believe. Um, and also it's an all-star cast. You're getting one of the best piano players, one of the best bass players, one of the best drummers on this album, the whole album. And so they showcase that every chance they get, I give it an overall score of 9.2 out of 10 only because I, you know, it's hard to give something 10 out of 10 because you're always looking for room for improvement. There's always something to think about, something to critique. But that's what I had to give it. Yeah, I you make some some really great points there. I think the thing that we keep coming back to is just how it feels like Hank has perfected his craft and it's so well crafted, you know. And so that's that's why it gets such a good score. Why we're going to give it such a good score? A combined score of nine point three out of ten for this album. I think we'll probably agree that it's Hank's best album. I mean, there are other ones, another workout on stuff like that, that are really, really great. But this is, this is all time Hank. If you've never listened to it, you have to go listen to it. It's you'll learn something. You'll enjoy it. It's so enjoyable to listen to. So cool. We're going to take a short break and we're going to get into our modern album in the spirit of two by Nduzu Makatini in just a second. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. This is your co-host, Dwayne. 
I know we said that we'd be right back, but we've actually made the decision that we're going to make each album one podcast episode of its own. We really want, we like diving deep into the, the albums and really giving you a deep look into what's going on. So with that review of Soul Station taking up an hour, we don't want to make each episode go for two hours. And we think it's going to be best if we keep every episode at around the hour mark and deep dive into an album. And what we're going to do is we're going to rotate between classic and new albums. So this album was the classic Soul Station by Hank Mobley. And we've got the In the Spirit of Ntu by Nduzu Makatini coming up next week. And we're going to keep on going. After that, we'll have Go by Dexter Gordon. We've got a lot of cool stuff um, we're looking forward to. I want to thank you all for listening. Feel free to reach out to us if you'd like. Um, our email is justjazzpod at gmail.com. If you have any recommendations, suggestions, ideas, we'd love to hear it. And yeah, we look forward to getting more album reviews out, talking to you guys more about um, the albums that we're listening to and what we've got going on. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week with our review of In the Spirit of 2. And until then, we'll talk to you later. Thank you guys so much. Uh, this is the Just Jazz Podcast with Dwayne Gunnels and Max Levy.